Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This week we turn our attention to the rivals in the American League Central Division. I'll talk with Zach Hayes of Southside Sox about the Chicago White Sox, Merritt Rolfling of Covering the Corner about the Cleveland Guardians, Brandon Day of Bless You Boys about the Detroit Tigers, and TJ Gorsegner of Twinkie Town about the Minnesota Twins. Next week we'll have our regular panel of writers back on to preview the Royal season, but for now let's get to know what our rivals have been up to this offseason and what to expect as the Royals try to compete in the Central Division. Well, joining me now is Zach Hayes of the White Sox website, Southside Sox. Zach, thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me, Max. Well, the, uh, the White Sox, you know, they're defending uh, division title champs. Last year, they uh, finished in first place. And, uh, hey, you know, they have that collect- a tremendous collection of talent there. Uh, but they did fall in the first round of the playoffs to the Houston Astros. Uh, what did they do in the offseason to try to get them over the hump? Lots of relief pitching um, is mostly what they did. It's been a pretty quiet offseason. The largest financial outlay that uh, Rick Hahn made was giving a three-year, $24 million contract to Kendall Graveman, who had a very nice breakout year for Seattle and Houston last year. Uh, We saw him a few times in the playoffs and uh, gave $20 million to Joe Kelly and then also brought back uh, Larry Garcia on a $16 million deal. He's a familiar face, actually the uh, longest tenured member of the White Sox, fun fact. And uh, Josh Harrison is the only real addition on the offensive side. He got brought in on a one-year $5 million deal. What's kind of the expectation? I, I know Jerry Reinsdorf uh, has has been uh, maybe a little frugal in the in the past, considering he's a uh, you know has a large market team. <laughs> putting it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there kind of an expectation that he's maybe a little more committed to winning, or are they just kind of happy standing pat with the with the talent they have right now? Uh, you know, it's it's Lucy pulling the football with Jerry. It's uh, he's he's owned the team for 40 years. This is not the first time we've seen this. Uh, you know, the money will be spent has been kind of the mantra that uh, Rick Hahn gave us when the White Sox missed out on Bryce Harper and Manny Machado a few years ago. Uh, and there is a little bit of discontent, I would say, in that they have a high payroll, but by today's standards, not a particularly high payroll. They have a very high floor. They are the defending division champions, and it's uh, hard to see. I mean, they're, they're easily the favorites again this year, for better or worse. But there are holes for which there were solutions on the free agent market, and some of the bigger moves that fans might have expected from a team trying to put itself over the top during a championship window just didn't really materialize. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting looking as a Royals fan at the White Sox because I think you guys are, are kind of where we want to be eventually, kind of like a, a nice core nucleus of homegrown players or at least players that you acquired as prospects and trades. Um, you know, with that nucleus, who's kind of the guy you're looking at as like the key to, to breaking out and, and maybe like the key to the White Sox being uh, successful this year? Oh, man. Well, everyone is super, super excited to get a full season out of Luis Robert. And he he tore the league up for about 50 games last year, missed most of the middle three months of the season. Some of the X factors are going to be in the pitching rotation. Everybody's expecting Dylan Cease to take a big step forward based on, uh, you know, his stuff and the strikeout numbers he posted last year. Uh, Michael Kopech is stepping into the rotation very, very, very highly anticipated, even if he's not going to give more than probably 120 innings and Dallas Keuchel was was pretty awful for most of last year but they seem pretty dead set on giving him regular starts so they're asking a lot of their pitchers beyond Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn uh so those those are really some of the biggest x factors uh in terms of overall success you also have things like you know they have to stay healthy uh Aloy Jimenez needs to bounce back Andrew Vaughn needs to take another step forward but uh, I'd say the back half of that rotation is the real where things are really going to come together or, or fall apart if they do. Well, yeah, they had some key injuries last year, but seem, you know, they seem to be able to overcome that just because they had such great depth in that lineup, even though Robert was hurt and Eloy Jimenez was was injured for, for a large chunk of the season. They uh, they were still able to storm their way to 93 wins. So what what is the lineup? What's the lineup you're expecting on uh, opening day for the White Sox? Not not too different from, from the opening day lineup last year. You still got Yasmani Grandal behind the plate. You know, Tim Anderson, uh, Yoan Moncada, Luis Eloy are all locked up on uh, long-term long term extension, so they're going to be on the, in the opening day lineup for quite some time. Uh, you still have Jose Abreu, of course, franchise icon. Uh, second base, that's what they brought in Josh Harrison for. Pretty pretty set lineup there. The only real question is right field and DH, and that's largely only because Andrew Vaughn is now uh, seems unlikely to be ready to start the season on time. He's out with a hip pointer, so uh, there's a few a few candidates for for that spot there. But everything everything otherwise is pretty much set, pretty similar to what it's looked like for the last two years. Vaughn's an interesting guy in that he was taken one one spot uh, after the Royals took Bobby Witt Jr. And uh, there was actually a little bit of debate on our board of like whether or not the Royals should actually look at Andrew Vaughn. Uh, how do you feel he's progressed as a prospect? I know he's, he's, he's made the major leagues, obviously, a lot faster than Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, but is he, is he kind of seen in the same uh, light as he was maybe a couple years ago? I think it depends on who you ask. I personally, as someone who's very, very high on Andrew Vaughn, he had a pretty up-and-down rookie season uh, that was, on the whole, subpar. There are a lot of people who were disappointed in his output. I tend to look at the view that, take the view that this is a guy who is one of the most accomplished college hitters of recent memory, and it's not a fluke. He's got a real, real pretty swing, a lot of power. He played all of something like 50 games in the minor leagues in, in high A in 20, 2019. Obviously didn't get a minor league season in 2020 and jumped straight to the majors in 2021. And for about three months, he, he was a well above average hitter in the middle of the season after he took a little while to adjust to, to big league pitching, as you would expect after making such a big jump. And he got hurt 
towards the end of August and missed most of September and really trailed off when he did play. So the overall batting line, I think he hit like 235 or 240 or something like that. The overall batting line is not very pretty and looks disappointing. But if you're watching the games every day and you're kind of looking at this with a little nuance, I think Andrew Vaughn is probably a pretty solid breakout candidate for someone who might might even push for an all-star bid if some of the the, the breaks fall right. Because I, I, I firmly believe the dude the dude is a special hitter. So, uh, you mentioned the rotation uh, a little bit already, but uh, you know I think people kind of overlook the quality of the arms there, just because the hitters are such exciting young talent, uh, talented players. Uh, you know, Giolito, you know, obviously has like ace stuff. Lance Lynn's been very solid, dependable. Uh, you mentioned Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease is a possible breakout candidate. Who, who do you see at the end of the year? Who's the best pitcher on that White Sox staff? That's a tough one. I am pretty buying in pretty heavy on a bulked up Lucas Giolito this year. He on any given night can go with any pitcher in baseball as far as, as stuff. I'm sure you've seen plenty of that change up the the last few years. Uh, not not to speak of a slider and a curveball that's still still pretty good. He's been inconsistent has been his issue. He's a he's a very big human. He's six foot six. He's got long arms and his mechanics are kind of delicate. So it's easy for him to fall out of whack. And he has games where the fastball command just isn't there and he can't find the plate and he runs up a pitch count and he ends up with six earned runs and that kind of tanks his ERA. He is a smart dude and he's well aware of that and he's kind of talked about some of the stuff he's doing to try to be a little bit more consistent and he's also apparently put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and is uh, over his first couple of spring appearances has been throwing in the 94, 95, 96 mile an hour range with the fastball which is not a huge jump from where he was, but he was down in that 92, 93 mile an hour range for, for uh, quite a bit of time last year, which is kind of kind of a danger zone for a guy like him who doesn't necessarily have great spin and this fastball is kind of straight. But if he's up there sitting 95, 96 or touching 96, I think he's going to be the best pitcher in this rotation far and away. You mentioned them investing in the bullpen this offseason. Uh, what, are, what are some of the the guys that Tony LaRusso will be calling on in the pen uh, to close out games for the White Sox. Well, assuming he doesn't, you know, call the wrong guys like he did in the World Series ten years ago, <laughs> it's probably it's probably going to be a lot of a lot of Liam Hendricks. Uh, I'm, as you can imagine, most of the Sox fan base is pretty lukewarm about the continued presence of of Craig Kimbrell in the bullpen. But uh, the fact is, they've got enough quality pitchers that Hendricks is going to rack up saves. But we might you know see him being used in early game situations a little bit more often than we might expect as much as tony does love his roles uh joe kelly is a guy who even though he won't start the year uh with the team he's uh still recovering from an injury that's escaping me right now but he's he goes back he has a relationship with tony dating back to their days in st louis i wouldn't be surprised if he gets a lot of burn uh you know kimbrell is going to be out there plenty aaron bummer is the real name to watch out for though as far as someone who is really might have one of those breakout one of the five ten best relievers in the game type season i think more people need to to know his name because he's going to be the the go-to lights out lefty out of the pen this year well i think the white Sox are maybe a different stage than some of the other teams in the central division that they've kind of graduated a lot of the top prospects but are there any guys on the farm you think could make an impact at some point or maybe become trade bait uh if the if the white Sox want to make a july uh deadline move mm, it's a it's a pretty barren system uh to be frank i was actually just discussing this with um 
uh, with the former host of the Locked On White Sox podcast earlier about the lack of trade ammo come the come the deadline and why it's a, it's a problem that they had such a quiet off season. <clears throat> Excuse me, off season on the on the free agent front because yeah, it's a pretty once the top guys graduated, there's not a lot of big league ready talent. Most of the uh, most interesting names in the system are young pitchers who have yet to get above high A ball. So if there's a big, you know, if anyone's going to pop, you might see someone like a Matt Thompson or a um, Jared Kelly was a big overslot draft pick a couple of years ago. And those are guys who, if they come out looking good in the first couple months of the minor league season, could definitely potentially headline headline a deal somewhere. Uh, Garrett Crochet would probably ordinarily be in the minors if it wasn't for all of the weirdness that was 2020. In some respects, he's still a prospect, uh, and he'll he'll probably work in a bit of a hybrid role this year. Uh, there's some AAA, AAA names like Jonathan Stever and Jimmy Lambert are starting pitchers who are ready for the big leagues if they're nothing special. So you'll probably see them at some point this year, given the, uh, given the nature of pitching. And probably... Two of the more interesting names are going to be Yoelki Cespedes and Oscar Colas, who were both pretty highly touted signings out of Cuba. Older players, Yoelki, I believe, is 24, and I'm not sure how old Colas is off the top of my head, but if they're going to be impact players, we're probably going to know it sooner rather than later. So those are, those are a couple other names to, to keep an eye out for. So the White Sox, they won 93 games last year, made the playoffs, uh, but did fall in the first round. It's been 17 years since you guys won it all. Um, what's kind of the fan expectations? Is this the, a team that can go all the way? And if, if if they do, what's kind of your? How do you kind of see that happening? You know, just like with any fan base, there's a lot of optimism and a lot of frantic pessimism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know that all too well. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice because you know they are at least on paper the hands down best team in the division, and it's been a long time since playoffs like as a floor where it was a reasonable expectation for this fan base. So on the one hand, there's a lot of joy and a lot of like, you know, people love this team and they're ready to go. On the other hand, there's also a lot of flashbacks of teams from the uh, mid nineties to the late two thousands or so that were good. And just with the exception of that 2005 team, just were never quite good enough to get over the hump in large part because of the kind of, weird transaction patterns that the team's front office took. So there is a lot of excitement because playoffs are kind of the baseline. It's an expectation, which is great. But the ALDS was not pretty last year. The Houston Astros looked like a team that had been there before and the White Sox looked like a team that hadn't. And it was not a lot of fun to watch with the exception of a very electric game three. I mean, those three, the other three games weren't close. So while there is a lot of excitement, there also is some trepidation that, are we going to go through this roller coaster again and probably not win the division by as much as they should and then get blown out of the water in the playoffs? That's also a legitimate fear, I would say. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I can see like with a young team like this, maybe that experience in the postseason last year maybe puts like a chip on their shoulder. I think the Royals in 2014 kind of had that a little bit um, where they felt like, you know, we need to, you know, we got a taste of it. Let's, let's go run it back in 2015. And, you know, the White Sox have an experienced manager and Tony La Russa, who's obviously, you know, been to the top several times. 
Uh, so it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if the White Sox uh, make a really good run in the, in the postseason this year. That being said, I mean the the division looks tougher than than last year, and and you never know. And uh, certainly there there are going to be a lot of teams gunning for them uh, this year uh, that that perhaps didn't have the the bullets last year. So it should be an interesting race. And I think I think you're right. The White Sox on paper they're the best in the division, but uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Well, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, you can follow all White Sox news and analysis over at Southside Sox. And, uh, that, Zach, thanks so much for being on. You're great. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Always always happy to talk. Well, next we have Merritt Rolfing from Covering the Corner to talk about the Cleveland Guardians. Merritt, thanks for being on. Oh, anytime, Max. Thanks for having me. Always a, always a pleasure to talk baseball even about the hated Royals. No, man, honestly, <laughs> I'm glad, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, cool. First of all, I did want to uh, ask you, how were our fans taking the name change so far? It was, uh, I guess, kind of, it's been a long time coming, but uh, they finally have a new name. How are, uh, is, it, is it taking some time to get used to? Well, um, I don't mean to peel the, well, pull back the curtain too much, but right before we started recording, you kind of stumbled over the, the word Guardians, and we all, we're all doing the exact same thing, because it's still weird. Um, again, I'm a fan of the name. As to how are fans taking the change, that is, I'm not going to say that's a sore subject in the world of Cleveland baseball, but it's um, it run, runs the gamut from you're stealing our history to thank God it's gone, basically. So it's just one of those things where, I mean, honestly, I think that if the team had always been named the Guardians, no one would care because there's teams out there named, what, the Giants, and literally two teams named after Sox. So... It's not like having a weird name is abnormal for baseball. It's just bizarre now because it's been the same name since forever. So I'm happy about it. I bought a new hat and everything. I'm I'm all in. You know, obviously the the site I write for covering the corner is all in on the on the new name change. But it's going to take some getting used to. We're we're thinking of doing the running counter on how many times their TV color guy Rick Manning says uh, says the old name um, in the first two three months, and I'm assuming it'll be and just like blows right past any changes or anything like that. So. Yeah, that'll the, be fun. Yeah, the Royals play yeah, Cleveland yeah. on opening day, and I'm I'm predicting Rex Hudler will not heal. But half the time, I'm sure he's going to call, still call Cleveland the Indians. So <laughs> I don't think Rick Manning will be alone in in, in uh, getting exactly. to, you know taking some time to get used to the the new name. But uh, well, you know, the, the smart move is always just say Cleveland, and then that, that way you're pretty sure you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Made last year weird because we kind of had an informal edict at the site to just not say the old name, uh, and it just made. Made writing hard, quite honestly, because there's only so many times you can say Cleveland or the baseball team or the guys on the field or whatever, you know. So yeah, yeah. well, yeah, at least you don't go by a Cleveland baseball team right now. So that could be worse. Exactly. I, I, I live in D.C. and I got to tell you, it's still. I mean, the team stinks as it is, and then now they just continue to be bad. And, they, and I don't know. Yeah, it's. I, I prefer having an actual name over whatever the hell they're doing here. Well, let's talk about baseball a little bit now that we have uh, the games back on. Uh, you know, the, we had a, the lockout that froze transactions for a couple months there. What what have the Guardians been able to do this offseason to uh, to improve upon last year's team? Oh, so much. So, so, no. <laughs> it's been uh, relatively quiet. I think their biggest signing has been bringing back uh, Brian Shaw again. Uh, aside from that, it's just, yeah, they just haven't spent any money. I was listening to another podcast um, earlier today, actually, and they, they, the guy describes Cleveland as basically Jose Ramirez and a bunch of creative players. So, honestly, you look at the roster, and it's like everywhere from Oscar Mercado to Bradley Zimmer. It's all names that Royals fans will recognize because they're running up basically most of the same team from last year. And um, 
I think just hoping for growth. Our last we, we kept referring to last year as kind of a stealth rebuild, like they're trying to maintain some level of winning because I don't think Cleveland's very good at tanking. I don't think it's like in their DNA to like you know back even twenty years ago they've never really been bad since basically '94 on. But last year, obviously, the first losing season I think with Francona at the home, which is surprising. But yeah, not not to, to that's a long, long way of me saying. Not much, not much. It's been pretty quiet, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, John Sherman, who the Royals owner, he was once part of the Cleveland ownership team, and I think right. he's kind of t- seen that model of Cleveland, uh, you know, never really being that bad uh, as, as something he wants to bring to Kansas City where, you know, he's talked about taking a more sustainable approach here, and, and maybe that'll mean years where the Royals really don't do much in the offseason. Uh, maybe that means years where the Royals trade one of the better players like Cleveland's done the last couple off seasons trading, you know, guys like Mike Clevenger and Francisco Lindor. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how much of that model he does end up adopting in Kansas city. Uh, you talked about Jose Ramirez. Uh, he's been subject to both trade rumors and talk about contract extension rumors. What's the latest on if Jose Ramirez is going to stay in Cleveland the entire season? I mean, the, everything we've heard is just informal or there are talks in, in, in progress. Obviously, my dream is, yeah, keep him for they have, they have this year and next year he's still under contract. So my hope is something, some kind of, like, additional four years on top of that because he's 29 years old right now. And um, keeping him there, especially next year, what, like, what, once, like, the, the, the pseudo ban, the shift, so to speak, someone like him who's so pole-happy, I mean, he might win a batting title if, if he can't shift on him, quite honestly. So that's the sort of player that I hope they build around. But right now, it's it's mostly just hope, quite honestly. It's just it's hoping that they actually pull the trigger and actually try and spend some money. Because I know it's a meme that they don't spend much money, but like I've watched a lot of my favorite players leave and go somewhere else and find similar or greater success. I think Michael Brantley is the greatest example of that now over there in um, uh, Houston. He was just so good, and I was like, "That guy's a—he's been good the entire time. He maintains being good. I, that, that, missing a, a bat like that's been huge for them. I think ever since he left. So uh, that's all. Again, I, I hope they spend the money, but it's all like, does he want to stay? I think so. It seems like a nice enough place to play baseball. Pretty low pressure, quite honestly. Uh, but it's about—I think at this point, it's dollars and cents because he's quite simply one of the four, five, at worst, five best third baseman and a top, I think a top ten player in the AL, quite honestly. Yeah, he's um, been kind of... This is, yeah, definitely like a dark horse tremendous. MVP candidate the last couple of years. I mean, it seems like a guy oh, that I mean, they want to commit to. I think he should have won it. Yeah, I think he should have won MVP in, in 2020. Um, he hits it pretty similarly to Jose Abreu, but he also plays a tougher position defensively. I thought he should have won MVP then, but yeah, exactly. He's been... Basically, since 2017 on, he's been – I could make the argument, and I probably have a few times, that he's probably been the best player on the field for them, and that includes guys like Francisco Lindor. Like his bat has just been consistently great every single year. He's good for, you know, 35, 40 home runs every year uh, when he's healthy. He's, even that one year, that weird year he had where he was just started off so dreadfully, he ended up being still an above-average hitter despite having – like an OPS in like the 500s in the uh, through June, he ended up going on a tear there too. So he's I, 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 he's he's one of the best guarantees you can have, I think, at this point as far as production. And if they don't spend the money on him, it's like what what are we doing? I guess you know what are we doing here basically? Because I, I, I don't have much many other things to hang my hat on basically with that team. 
Is there any talk about like what kind of numbers they're talking about? Is it, is there like a high ask that that they that Cleveland's not able to to meet, or or is it is it just kind of like uh, you know Cleveland kind of needs to come up to their number to and and, and sign them to something reasonable here? I haven't seen anything in public, honestly. I got my my hope is something some sort of um, tear off tear off the last two years of his current contract, which is incredibly team friendly. Just go like a six year, hundred eighty million. I'll give you just thirty million dollars a year. I mean, that's a, a gross. I think underpay at this point when you see some other contracts out there. But that's that, that would be a, a, a number that I, I would be I would be more than happy with. I would hope he'd be happy with. And I, to me, I think that sounds feasible for. Uh, for a team like Cleveland, who has extracted tremendous amounts of excess value out of him. Yeah, he's, he's signed, I think, combined the next two years, 22-23, for $25 million combined. I mean, I just think that if the club offered him 180 over six to tear up his last two years, that gets him to his 38-34 season. Max, he'd honestly be one of the best Cleveland players of all time by many different advanced metrics. And I think he's already on his way there, but um, that's my hope. But I, I, I have not seen any any hard numbers anytime recently. Well, we know Jose Ramirez will be in the middle of that lineup, and you mentioned like they're kind of standing pat with a lot of the guys they had last year. What do you, how do you see the lineup kind of uh, uh, laying out for Cleveland as they uh, open the season next Thursday against Kansas City? I know, like I said, you know, pretty much a lot of the same names. Um, getting Josh Naylor back. I hope is a big injection of positivity. He was he showed a lot of promise last year before he hurt his knee, um, and that's, and he's got tremendous power. And then I think the only other big question mark and the big curiosity there is uh, Stephen Kwan, a name that probably not many have heard. But if you if the listeners want to go and look into his just his numbers, I mean he hits. He's been hitting everything in the minors at, at every single level. He came out of nowhere, quite honestly. I didn't know about this guy until basically this past winter. But just in 2021, over two levels of um, minor league baseball, it's 77 games. He had 328-407-527. I mean, he's potentially a, a, a surprise a surprise bat. And he's been hitting well, obviously, in, in uh, spring training. For, uh, you know, small sample. So 474 batting averages, nothing to, to frown at. So outside of that, I mean, you're, you're probably looking at a lot of the same names. Having the other back will help, but you got Reyes, you got um, new catcher uh, because they are probably going to end up with San De Leon uh, back there or something like that because uh, what's his name got hurt. Um, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head now, but um, I'll use the internet to find it. Uh, um, Austin Hedges got hurt, so he's, he's kind of on the, on the shelf for a bit there. But they have another guy there on the on their forty man who's. Uh, hit pretty well. Uh, Brian Lavastida, uh, who may show up this year. Uh, he plays decent defense, but also can hit, which is a rarity for a Cleveland catcher uh, these days. So, uh, but yeah, that's that you're going to see a lot of a lot more guys like Gabriel Ar- Gabriel Ar- Ar- Arias or um, you know Andres Jimenez. Uh, uh, you know, same old names. Uh, for, for, for pretty typical stuff. Amad uh, Rosario will go will vacillate between being on fire and being nothing constantly. So uh, I guess the hope is they play good defense behind the rotation, which I think will be obviously the strength of the team again, and then get some lucky hits out of um, another year of growth from Fernando Reyes, uh, a still electric uh, Ramirez, maybe Quan injects some extra life in the back end of that, uh, that order. And then guys like Straw and guys like that should just kind of stretch it out and hopefully just get on base and make it, make it work. But 
if I want to be charitable, it'll be another year of quote-unquote run prevention as the offensive plan, basically. You mentioned the rotation being a strength. I think in Kansas City, like, we've been trying to develop starting pitching for, like, over a decade. I mean, even when we had a, a yeah. team in the World Series, like, <laughs> it wasn't really homegrown guys other than Jordan Ventura and Danny Duffy. It's, and it's, you know, something Dayton Moore's tried to do but just hasn't been able to do. Cleveland, meanwhile, we look at Cleveland, and it just seems like you guys have arms out the woodwork, like, you trade away a Cy Young winner and three other guys pop up out of your farm system. Who are you looking at in the rotation this year and who's maybe like the key to uh, the rotation being uh, back, you know, what it once was? Well, I mean, yeah, you, you touched on it. The key here is depth, obviously, and they have uh, the 2020 Cy Young winner, obviously, and Shane Beaver. Uh, he's back full, fully healthy. Uh, Zach Lezak might come, should come back and probably perform more to his 20. 20- 1920, 2020, 11 to 2021. Um, and then you have uh, Aaron Savale, who, I mean, he throws everything real well. He just doesn't have any velocity. The, the, the big thing here is depth, right? He's got Cal Quantrill, another good name. Tristan McKenzie will probably be, that'll be your starting, your starting five for a rotation. Um, all of them are great. I think any of them could pitch the team to a win. Quantrill was wonderful this past year. I think he went a long stretch there, allowing like, th- like two or less runs. Uh, he was excellent. He was he was definitely the kind of the the makeshift ace for the rotation once um once uh, Fever went down. But I mean I think they have the best rotation in the division. Um, I, I I I've tried to look in, I've, I've tried to convince myself that's not the case, but I just don't see how any other teams have the the, the sheer length and the, the depth there of being able to go five deep and then. And every someone will get there. They got a couple other guys coming coming behind them. It's just my biggest concern with all of these guys is velocity, quite honestly, because none of them throw very hard. I think Pleasex probably got the best fastball. Um, it's like 94, 95, and in the modern MLB, where the average fastball is now like 95.2 or something like that, having all the other good stuff that they do have, which they do have, uh, is paramount to their success. So, uh, it, it, again, run prevention. Low-scoring games, I I don't think that there will be a, a game with more than about six runs scored uh, in that opening series there against the Royals <laughs> combined. So, uh, I mean, hey, I'm just being a realistic here, but it's, it'll, it'll, it'll be hard-fought battles. Um, you know, charitably, I can say that it'll be, it'll be fun and tense for for uh, Cleveland fans out there. It's hard to say anything besides Cleveland fans. Usually I can say Tribe fans in the past, I don't to say anymore. But, again, it'll be a strong rotation I expect uh, Bieber to contend for a Cy Young again uh, now that he's back fully healthy. And it's all about just hoping that what someone like Quantrill did, because either he's your 1B or he's your fourth best starter, which either of those is fine. It just was last year a fluke. It's a weird era for a sinker ball pitcher to be um, good, I guess, because that, that, that whole thing kind of fell out of vogue in the, in the, in the uh, middle part of last decade. And it's, it's interesting to see him kind of coming back and, making it work for him. So I'm excited. Again, uh, it's something to watch every single day. You don't have to wait to watch the one hitter, the one good hitter you have, but uh, it's, it's an interesting year to see how they're, they've all developed because they're all still so young too. Is the other fun part, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they do have some young pitching and I, and, and, you know, a team like Cleveland, I think has to rely on, on kind of the young players. Is there, you mentioned Stephen Kwan. Is there any other uh, kind of guys in the farm system you think could be contributors, maybe not at the beginning of the season, but maybe, you know, by the midseason, you could see them coming up and, and, and helping out with the team? I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we both root for and watch small market teams who love to manipulate service time, so there are question marks there, but 
the biggest issue they have is that all of their good young players are middle infielders, and right now the middle infield is made up of a 23-year-old and a 24-year-old young former farm prospect. They're still trying to see if there's anything in them. The guys they got back from the um, oh, what was the trade they made? Oh, the Francisco Lindor trade, actually, yeah, in uh, Jimenez and Rosario. Rosario in particular feels like he's been in baseball for a decade, but he's still only 24. So I would like for that to happen, but there's just, I mean, there's young guys that you're going to see, guys like Owen Miller, Yu Chang, but like they're not like going to make a big splash. You know, they're not big time prospects anymore. There's guys, so there's some people who kind of the sheen has kind of worn off of them, like Nolan Jones was supposed to be the next big thing, but now. Who knows? Um, Richie Palacios is still a little bit away. Brian Rocio is a little bit away. Um, George Valera is a little bit away. So, so they're just in a weird place where they're – because I think they have like five players in baseball prospectuses, top 100 prospects, or one of the, one of the prospect uh, Bibles. And I haven't seen any of them yet. But, it'll, again, it'll be a growth year hoping the guys who were young last year, because like I said, they injected a lot of youth into the, into the lineup and the rotation last year, hoping they kind of make some kind of a leap. It's a disappointing thing to say. No, not really. Not much. Of, uh, not much curious coming from the uh, the farm, but just the way they are. They're in a weird situation where they're just log jammed with middle infielders. They have nowhere to put them, and other than that, they have other guys who they're hoping will evolve into something greater. The only positions that were this real wiggle room, I guess, would be maybe center field and maybe left field. But with someone like Miles Straw, who cannot hit, but he can play defense like a total gold lover, it's hard to take him out when your entire team is built around pitching. So that's all. I would say the only name you might see was that catcher I mentioned before, uh, Brian Lopestita, just because, I mean, Hedges can't hit. Uh, Sandy Leon can't hit. Uh, Lopestita can, potentially. So if he can if he can make it up, it's just they're, they're in a bunch of weird situations with a the 40-man roster crunch with injuries and then with just bizarre, mediocre log jams across the diamond, basically. You know, I'm kind of curious, too. Uh, Terry Francona, you know, he has he's had some health issues in the past. He's 62 years old. Uh, Ned Yost, I think, was 64 when he retired. Is this, uh, you know, is, is this going to be his last year? Has, he, has there been any talk about him possibly stepping down? And if if so, like, are there who's, who's kind of the candidates to replace him in Cleveland? That's a great, honestly, a great question that we've all been wondering about because there's been talk, as I'm sure, you're, like you said, he's, he's um, getting up there in age. I'm surprised he's only 62. I don't think I thought I thought he was closer to 70, honestly. Um, but he missed a lot of last year with health problems. Um, and the other issue is like they were rebuilding team technically. Like I don't care who you are, like they're building to 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 a, to a new window that isn't this year specifically. Even if if everything breaks right, they might be able to sneak into an expanded playoff. And he's a guy who likes veterans and likes to ride his veterans. Like, that's one of the reasons they probably got Brian Shaw. I'm going to see him 70 times this year. Um, but he's a guy who likes his veterans, and they have all these young guys that they need to kind of give time to. So, so you have to start wondering if like the, the, the clock is ticking on Frank Foner because all those reasons, basically, health and I, I, this, this has to be if, – if, he, if he's managing in 2023, I'll be very surprised – I don't think he'll be managing in 2024. I think this might be some kind of a last hurrah for him because of the youth, the fact that they're struggling now. I don't think he's a guy who really, and no professional athlete does, really enjoys the losing aspect of baseball. And Cleveland's going to be doing probably more losing than winning this year, unfortunately. 
I don't, as to who you're fucking with, I don't know. Because, like, like Sandy Elmore Jr. has always been a name in in looking at, like, new new managers. But he always, he always came up short. Like, he never was the final pick. He was always, always on the short list. So, and then when he came in and, like, sat in for um, Francona, he wasn't very impressive. And then they had, um, what was his name, Hale last year uh, sit in for him. Um, and he was fine. I don't know, though. I mean, they... There was a pitching coach they had that they lost to, I think, the Mets. I can't remember where he went off the top of my head. Um, but he seems like a good candidate, but he just didn't have enough. Like, they just didn't have the space to kind of promote him. They're very much a, a, an organization who does have a, lot, a big brain trust that would be nice to kind of uh, pick from. But I don't know. I mean, we're also getting to a point here. I think Francona is kind of a last of a dying breed along with, like, uh, Joe Madden, I guess, would be the only other thing of it. That, that kind of cult of personality manager. And I just, I think we're getting away from that. To, to, it's going to become a manager that's more like, I don't know, just uh, someone who's basically just a, a, an extension of the front office, if you know what I mean. Right? Someone like um, whoever the manager of the Twins is or whoever the manager of the, <laughs> of the, uh, of, of the Tigers is. Honestly, I, I, I know who it is, and it was the former manager of the um, what do you call Astros? The Astros. The AJ Hinch? It, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like AJ Yeah, so it's uh, guys who are just pseudo faceless characters who just kind of live to enact the will of the front office. I think we're getting, kind of getting away from the world of the Frank Conas and things of that nature. Dusty Baker, another good example of that. Who I think I think they're kind of a dinosaur breed, and we're kind of getting away from that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know who they're replacing with, but it used to be someone probably. You know. Yeah, I think the Rays are managed by an actual computer. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think we are kind of getting away from that. Although, you know, Baker's still managing, Tony Larusa still managing, so uh, they're still know. out there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Larusa is still managing. You know, you keep. <laughs> I can't believe he's still out there, man. What a. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. That's give it, give it another year. We'll see. But yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't count. You know, I think Terry Francona is an excellent manager. I, I certainly wouldn't count him out this year, especially with some of the young talent. That Cleveland has, so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Cleveland make, uh, you know, some sort of run this year. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I expect uh, Cleveland and Kansas City to have some really good series this year. And of course, we'll see them to start start the year on Thursday on opening day. So uh, we'll get it started. I right can't from wait, the man. Well, uh, Merritt, thanks so much for uh, being on and, and catching us up with Cleveland. And uh, if anyone wants to kind of follow along uh, what the Cleveland Guardians are up to this year, you can always go to covering the corner and read what uh, Merritt and all the other writers there have to have to say. Thanks for being on, man. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Mac. Really appreciate it. Always a blast. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. And here to talk uh, Detroit Tigers baseball is Brandon Day of Bless You Boys. Brandon, thanks for being on. 
Hey, thanks for having me, Max. Great to talk to you. Yeah, well, you know, the, the Tigers are really interesting because they're kind of in the same boat as the Royals with a, a similar rebuild, but they were, uh, I think, a little more uh, aggressive this offseason than the Royals. Tell us what they did to uh, improve the team. Yeah, we needed them to be more aggressive. Um, we're, we were a little bit of a, a hot potato fan base over the past couple of years, um, you know, thinking back to Mike Illich and then uh, with his son not spending so much money yet. So, yeah, they, they made a couple pretty big moves for us. Um, the first thing I did, which I really like and has probably gone under the radar a little bit, is um, is trading for Tucker Barnhart um, from the Reds. Didn't really cost us anything in terms of prospect capital. Um, gives the Tigers a really good defensive catcher, great blocker, um, good receiver. Um, that should help the um, the young pitchers out in particular. Um, so that was a pretty good move for them. Um, gives them a little bit of a left-handed bat to pair with Eric Haas, who's kind of the lefty masher of the uh, of the duo. And then, yeah, the, the two big signings were Eduardo Rodriguez, um, which I think might look um, might turn out to be the best free agent starting pitcher signing of the offseason. Uh, big fan of Rodriguez, and they got him for five years, um, I think $77 million. And then picking up Javier Baez. Um, the Tigers were, you know, abysmal at the shortstop position last year. And, you know, we all know Javier Baez has his flaws, um, swings and misses a lot, you know, is probably going to strike out upwards of 30% of the time. Um, but he'll also probably hit 25 to 30 homers, you know, put up a decent average and play really good defense while stealing some bags. So, um, you know, whatever you think of Javier Baez, the upgrade for the Tigers specifically there it was huge. Um, and then they, they made one move after the lockout, um, picking up Andrew Chafin. Um, who, you know, should be a nice little lefty piece for the bullpen, um, gets a lot of ground balls, has been really effective the past couple years in particular. And then, you know, they just kind of added in a little pitching depth with um, picking up our old friend from the AL Central, uh, Michael Pineda, who's having some visa issues, but should be our fifth starter um, in a couple weeks from now. And then they brought back Willie Peralta, who did a pretty nice job for the Tigers last summer when they had a whole bunch of um, injuries in the rotation. And he'll be in the um, – he was on a minor league deal, so they'll kind of look to stash him for uh, whatever eventualities come to pass over the season. Willie Peralta, who Royals fans might remember, briefly pitched uh, for us a couple years ago. And Yeah, you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez. I really like that signing for the Tigers. I kind of jumped on him early before the lockout. And what's kind of nice about him is that he's still just 28 years old, which, you know, kind of young for a free agent pitcher, so you don't mind investing so many years in him. So I think that'll be a really good uh, stable force for their uh, rotation there. Uh, you know, here in Kansas City, we're, we're excited about the debut of Bobby Witt Jr., but in Detroit, you guys have some prospects that can make a splash this year as well. Who are you kind of anticipating uh, making that, that big splash for Tigers fans this year? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm excited to see Bobby Witt Jr. as well, just not against us. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the two big names for us, obviously, um, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, outfielder and first baseman, respectively. Um, Torkelson was the first overall pick in 2020. Um, they drafted Riley Green in the first round in 2019 out of high school. Um, and both of them have come along like gangbusters and just pretty much just wrecked double A AA and triple A last year. Um, and it actually does look like the Tigers are going to take them both north on opening day. Um, we're kind of in the middle of that, that point where we're, you know, we're arguing for that and knowing that some of the beat writers are going to be hearing from the team and there's a little bit of pushback about whether they're, you know, they're ready or this or that. But uh, we, I think we've covered all the bases by pointing out that if they, you know, send them to Toledo for two or three weeks, you know, what could they possibly be working on? So we're trying to inoculate the fan base um, <laughs> to, to kind of block the Tigers from being able to do that without catching a bunch of heck. But um, both players should be really good. You know, I think, um, you know, either one could be AL Rookie of the Year this year. Obviously, we've got Bobby Witt in the mix. We've got Adley Rutschman, who's probably the favorite for the Orioles. 
Uh, but both guys are really good prospects. Um, Riley Green's a pretty good center fielder, really good contact hitter, probably has more power than maybe people expect. And then Torkelson, you know, is just an absolute masher. So, um, you know, good good hitter, good discipline, huge, huge raw power, 70-grade raw power, and um, and a pretty solid defender at first base, although he, he still kind of needs some work. So, you know, those are the two, you know, really, those are the two offensive upgrades um, for the Tigers whenever they do arrive. And we are predicting opening day, but we'll have to see. Um, you know, so you put those two together with Javier Baez and an offense that was, you know, bottom third last year um, should probably add, you know, 60 to 70 home runs if things go well. Um, but of course, you know, they're prospects. We'll have to we'll have to see how that goes. But even um, even like the Zips projection system has um, Torkelson and Green as, you know, two of the three or four best position players on the team this year. So we're really looking forward to those guys. Um, we do have, you know, once once those two guys graduate, the Tigers' um, farm system is going to collapse toward the, the bottom of the pack. But there is actually a pretty good amount of decent starting pitching in the upper minors that they can look to for some depth to. Um, Bo Brisky, Alex Fiedo, Joey Wentz. Um, you guys might see some of those guys over the summer months. And then there's a pretty good shortstop prospect, Ryan Kreidler, who may not pan out as a starter, but could be a pretty good utility guy for us um, at least. And he's he did really well at AAA late last year, and we'll start out there again. And I would I would expect he'll probably get a call up and a look um, sometime this summer too. So you might see him a little bit here in Kansas City. I think we're pulling for Joey Wentz, local kid, graduated from Shawnee Mission East, which is actually right down the street from me. And uh, you know I know he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, but uh, we're certainly and you know he's now in the Tigers and the Tigers organization was drafted by the Braves, but. Uh, we're certainly pulling for him. Hope to see him in, a, in the in the majors uh, before before too long. Uh, I you, think uh, yeah, you know, uh, let me just to chime in on Wentz there. Yeah, yeah. you know he uh, he came out this spring and was was pumping ninety five ninety six, and um, that kind of blew blew some of us away because you know Joey Wentz is more of a touch and feel kind of lefty. Um, you know, usually ninety two somewhere around there ninety three. So you know if you're looking for a, a post Tommy John velocity bump guy, he he might be one of them. And the Tigers rebuilt their entire player development system um, starting late last fall. You know, new new vice president of player direct um, player development, whole bunch of new coaches, pretty much all like Dodgers and driveline guys. Um, and we've been begging for this basically since Al Avila took over. So uh, we're pretty excited about, you know, some of the uh, the development possibilities from some of these guys as well. You mentioned some of the uh, upper level pitching in the minors. Who do we expect to be in the rotation at the major league level to start the year? Because I know there's some 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 young guys in that uh, rotation. You guys are excited about. Yeah, after Rodriguez, you know Casey Mize is is probably the number two. Um, kind of started to establish himself last year. Um, has never really gotten the splitter working um, the way he had it in college, and that was really the the bread and butter pitch. You know the the seventy grade pitch coming out of Auburn. Um, so he's working on that, and you're probably going to see him switch to a more of a four-seam splitter-slider approach this year. Um, he's been working on that this spring. I'm pretty optimistic about him. Um, Tarek Skubal, really good lefty, um, still you know has some command issues. Kind of has you know the big left or the big leg kick and kind of a crossfire delivery. Um, you know, th- there's kind of a lot of moving parts there um, for him to sort of uh, keep things in, in check and, and keep his command steady. So we'll see if he can take a step forward there. And then Matt Manning is, is kind of the fourth one up who, you know, really didn't strike out too many guys last year. Um, you know, big, big right-hander, um, power fastball, but not really like electric stuff, you know, um, doesn't spin the ball terribly well. Um, is still kind of putting together his, his whole arsenal. And he's, 
you know, he's still a little bit more of like a fifth starter type. And I, I don't know exactly what we're going to get out of him this year. You know, if, if he if he put together a two-war season, we'd be really happy with that. Um, he's going to get a lot of ground balls. Overall, you know, the Tigers pitching staff um, should benefit from the defense being way better. We were one of the worst defensive teams in baseball, particularly in the middle infield last year. So moving Jonathan Scope back to second base, where he's actually a good defensive player, um, bringing in Baez, Riley Green probably playing center. Um, that that should benefit everyone uh, overall, I think. So yeah, we're you know we're feeling pretty good over here. Not counting our chickens, but feeling pretty good. <laughs> well, hey, spring's a time for hope, right? Yeah, yeah. If you can't hope now, you know. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the defense kind of, kind of getting upgraded. What is the how are the the Tigers going to line up as far as their offense go, goes? Uh, we we're kind of used to them being big bashers, uh, you know, at least back when they're kind of uh, contending for playoff spots. So how do you see the see the the Tigers line up uh, this year? Yeah, it's still going to be kind of a, a bashing type lineup with a lot of strikeouts. Um, the one the one kind of X factor is that there's a lot more speed. Um, you know, Baez can steal some bags. Obviously, Akil Badu is one of the fastest players in the game. Um, and he's had a pretty nice spring so far and looks like he'll be playing a lot. Um, maybe not quite full time still, but the close. Um, uh, Robbie Grossman stole 20 bases last year. You know, we've got a kind of a, a pretty nice mix of switch hitters in Robbie Grossman and Jamer Candelario, high OBP guys um, who give you maybe 20 home runs a year. Um, there's still going to be a lot of swing and miss in there, and but there, there's enough versatility, especially if we have um, Derek Hill, who's another one of the, the faster players in the game, kind of as our bench outfielder. Um, they should have plenty of options. And, you know, the Tigers won 77 games last year, and you would think the projections would you know have them somewhere up you know around 82 83 84 based on what they did this offseason but they did get lucky a fair bit last year um, we won a lot of close close late games um, I can give some credit for that to AJ Hinch um, but you know the projection systems are never going to fully believe in all that so we'll have to see how it plays out but yeah the lineup is fairly versatile um, they're gonna they're gonna swing and miss and they're gonna have some bad nights but um, there's a little bit more there than sort of the slow station to station, you know, power team that, you know, we used to have in 2011 to 2014. Yeah, they did have some some decent success last year. And I think that kind of put the heat on the Royals because, you know, that 77 wins doesn't light the world on fire. But, uh, to, to the you know, for Royals fans can, can point to the Tigers and say, well, look, they're rebuilding and they're, you know, close to 500. Uh, I think that kind of puts a little bit of more pressure on the, on the Royals. Uh, so what are your kind of fan expectations for this year? I mean, you mentioned, you know, making those additions – maybe should get the team over 500 into, you know, 84, 85 win territory. Is that, is that a team you think that can contend for a playoff spot? I think they're, they're a team that can at least put them in good enough position to, you know, make a move in July if they need to. Um, you know, the Tigers didn't, didn't trade away really any prospects this, this off season. They've still got a decent amount that they could use to pick someone up if they wanted to. So, I mean, I think fan expectations might be, you know, we're all, you know, wild card spot or bust pretty much. Um, that's that's probably, you know, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic, but I, I kind of peg them as like an 82-win team. And if things go right and they make the right move at the deadline, yeah, they, they've got a shot at, at picking up a wild card spot. Um, definitely don't really feel like we're in position to challenge the White Sox yet unless everything goes really wrong for them. But um, but yeah, I look at the rest of the, the, the division, and I you know I'm I'm expecting the Tigers to finish second. I won't be shocked if they don't, but I'm expecting that. <laughs> if so, if, if everything goes right for the Tigers, like what would would have to be the key things to happen for them to have a successful season? 
Yeah, I mean, Torkelson and Green would have to come up and be, you know, productive, above-average hitters, you know, right from the jump. I think um, that would, would probably be job one. And then we need one of Casey Mize or Tarek Skubal to take the next step forward and, and really be a consistent, dominant starting pitcher this year. Um, the bullpen last year was was better than maybe the numbers suggest, but I'm still not 100% convinced we've got more than, like, one or two real good back-end types. Um, you know, Michael Fulmer and Gregory Soto were pretty pretty tough to deal with for most, most teams last year. Um, beyond that, there's, you know, it's a little bit more of, like, solid relievers all the way down, more depth than, um, than a, a power guy or two. So I could see them picking someone up along those lines, perhaps um, somewhere this summer. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, that more than anything, it's got to be Riley Green and Torkelson doing well. And at least one of our young starting pitching prospects who graduated kind of taking the next step into a, like a, a strong number two type role. Well, I think the Tigers and Royals, I think it would be really interesting to watch here in the next year or two because, you know, there are so many parallels in the rebuild. Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, a lot of similarities too. I mean, Casey Mize, you talk about him. Brady Singer was his like nemesis in the SEC. It'd be yeah. kind of cool to see them going at it in the Central Division. Uh, Amir Garrett and Javier Baez, of course, have the rivalry that they had in the <laughs> yeah. NL Central when Baez was with the Cubs and Garrett was with the Reds, and and they'll probably carry that over into uh, into this year now that they're on new teams. So you know, we could see some really good games, and you, you know. Witt versus Torkelson, Riley Green, and, and Nick Prado. I mean, there's going to be a lot of young oh, yeah. talent on these two rosters here in the next year or two, and it's going to be really exciting to watch. So I appreciate you kind of filling us in. And uh, uh, and any Royals fans that want to keep up with the Tigers, you can always go to Twinkie Town and read what Brandon and other, other writers there have to say. And, uh, Brandon, thanks so much for being on. Hey, thanks a lot, Max. Everybody have a good season, and uh, I'm just glad baseball's back, man. Have a good night. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, next on, we have T.J. Gorsegner of Twinkietown to talk about the Minnesota Twins. T.J., thanks for being on. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Max. Glad to uh, get a chance to talk to you guys again. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad to have you on because the Twins had one of the more interesting off-seasons in baseball, especially right after the, pan- the uh, lock- lockout ended. Uh, they surprised everyone by signing Carlos Correa to a three-year, $105 million deal. What was uh, kind of your reaction to that signing? Boy, you know, it was uh, it was a real boring, uh, real boring off season, and all of a sudden, it was a real interesting two weeks there. That's for sure. Um, but in terms of the signing, I think the biggest. Well, first of all, we were blown away. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody expected it. It's like the biggest signing the Twins have ever made. Um, but the big story with that, to me at least, is uh, just kind of how crazy the whirlwind of things happening all at once was. I mean. It was like every time you turned around, the Twins were doing this, they were doing that, and then all of a sudden they landed one of the biggest free agents in baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, saw it coming. Has Carlos talked about kind of the, how that process went? Like, I mean, was he – I mean, obviously, like you said, the Twins were really connected to him pre-lockout, um, and it kind of came as a surprise to everyone. Does he see Minnesota somewhere he's just here for one year? Because I know there's some opt-outs with his contract. Is he is he looking like oh, I could stay here for a while? Things go right. Um, what what's what was kind of his um, his his thinking about signing with the Twins? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the beat writers had some interesting information on that story. Actually, I can't remember who it was, so I can't give him credit. But uh, I mean, Carlos is saying the right things right now. Of course, what free agent isn't saying? You know, hey, I love the local cuisine. I love eating, <laughs> you know, the cheeseburgers stuffed with cheese, and that's what they call it a juicy Lucy. But uh, anyway, um, 
that being said, again, the background kind of interesting. It was one of those things where uh, Scott Boris, who actually, you know, super agent, whatever, but he represents quite a few of the, well, the names you're going to hear real soon for the Twins, the big prospects that are about to come up. Um, he was kind of the guy that said, look, this is, you know, this is a good fit. He had a short list of, uh, you know, places that Carlos wanted to play, places he thought he saw the ball really well. Um, the batter's eye at target field is apparently something that he really likes. Um, and then from there, you know, Boris went, uh, he went to the teams, he went to the twins and said, Hey, you know, here is, here's an idea. Let's look at a little different instead of this blockbuster deal that, you know, everyone's expecting. Sure. It's a big deal, but it's, it's a short term deal where everyone kind of wins. You guys aren't locked in for, you know, seven, eight, ten years and multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And at the same time, uh, you know, the player's not locked in. If he thinks he can go get a better deal on the market, well, you can go look at getting a better deal on the market in a year or two and uh, kind of see what happens. Yeah, what was kind of ironic, too, I thought, is that uh, Yankees fans, I think, had been pining for a Correa all off season, And this the signing was made possible in Minnesota because the Yankees took on Josh Donaldson's contract in an interesting trade. Talk about that trade a little bit and what else the, uh, the Twins did in their off season. Oh, yeah. Well, back to the whirlwind. Um, so before we get to the Donaldson trade, the trade that kind of made that happen was uh, actually with the Rangers um, for uh, uh, for a shortstop that we thought was going to be, uh, uh, well, our shortstop for the season um, in Isaiah, um, Isaiah, whatever his name is. I kind can't of, kind of falafel. falafel. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, anyway. IKF, um, so the for twins, sure. Yeah, so the Twins traded for IKF. Um, kind of a, kind of a crazy trade, trading uh, their catcher, Mitch Garver, um, for in that move. Um, and then the next thing you know, turn around, and he's been a big Yankees target, and the Twins were able to, uh, well, not just send him over to the Yankees, but at the same time uh, move the Donaldson. Uh, money more than anything of course you know Donaldson being who he is there's been some scuttlebutt out there about him being a clubhouse cancer being a little bit of a guy that maybe you don't want on your team after all um who knows doesn't really matter at this point but it's certainly something where um if the twins wanted to move the player as much as the money well they had the opportunity and they uh turned around and traded one of their another of their three catchers to do it. So, you know, over the course of about two days, we went from these three guys are our catchers to, wait, who's our catcher? <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting whirlwind to go through. Um, let's talk about that, the, the, the lineup a little bit. I know we know Carlos Correa is going to be there. Uh, who, what's, who, what other hitters are they going to have in the lineup around him? Yeah, I think it's actually going to be a pretty, uh, pretty interesting lineup to kind of kind of look at and see how it goes you're gonna have um you're gonna have some power from top to bottom but you're also gonna have some guys that make contact um so of course kind of run down the big additions um you're gonna have uh, uh geo urshela um playing third base primarily um but then you've got uh luis arises still around as well um and then of course correa um those three guys have all got a little pop but they're all gonna be you know making some contact as well. 
Um, Gary Sanchez not playing for the Yankees might be as much of a benefit to us as him playing for the Twins since he's always killed us. He's going to be, you know, kind of a backup catcher, maybe a little bit of a DH guy. You're going to see a rise at DH quite a bit as well, I think. Um, first base, you're going to have Miguel Sano, but he may be headed for DH too. Um, with, uh, with Alex Kirilov quite possibly, you know, stepping into that first base position. Um, going into the season, though, he's going to be penciled in as uh, probably your left fielder. Um, center field, of course, Byron Buxton just got the big uh, extension, well, before we got locked out early in the offseason, but certainly worth mentioning. Um, if he can stay healthy, he's a, uh, well, he's become one of the best players in the game, but that's a very big if. And then you got Max Kepler and Wright, which he struggled a little bit over the last year, but he's shown uh, quite a bit of talent as well. And then you've got a lot of guys kind of sitting there at AAA right now. you got Trevor Larnick, you got Royce Lewis, you got Jose Miranda. Any of those three guys could, uh, you know, really within a couple of weeks or a month build the case, hey, I belong in the big leagues, and all of a sudden push anything that we just said into, you know, something different. You know, I think what really surprised a lot of baseball fans about the Twins making a big push this year was that they traded Jose Barreos at the deadline last year. Uh, is there is there maybe some regret in doing that, or does it still kind of fit into what they're trying to do? You know, I think there might be a little bit of, well, that wasn't great, but you got to look at what the Twins got back for for uh, Barreos. So that was a uh, was a heck of a deal. You know, they got Austin Martin, they got. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, they got another prospect too that's a little little lower rated, but those guys are going to make a huge difference long term. And I don't think there was much of a uh, chance that Barrios was going to ever re-sign with the Twins. So when you look through that lens, yeah, you're going to regret a little bit not having that guy out there on the field this year. But when you look three, four, five, ten years down the line, I definitely think that's going to be a move that pays off for the twins simply because um they weren't they weren't going to resign him so with that being said you know the blue jays yeah they signed the deal they did um but the twins were going to either lose him as a free agent or lose him in trade it's worth it to get the players back that they did so without boreas what kind of a what who are you looking at in the twins pitching staff this year you know that's actually going to be a really interesting thing the big uh the big pitching acquisition was sunny gray um you know, that's uh, that's another weird one. Um, he could be very, very good. He could be uh, not so good, but he's probably better cast as a number two than a number one. Um, way back at the beginning of the offseason, the Twins also signed Dylan Bundy. Um, certainly not a guy that's going to go out and, again, be your lights out ace, but he's a well-established uh, major league pitcher. Um, behind that, you got a few more question marks. Um Actually, news came out today that uh, um, a rookie is going to be the Twins' opening day starter, the first time that's happened since 1969. Um, trivia question or trivia answer, uh, Tom Hall was the last uh, gentleman, I believe. Um, and that being said, um, Joe Ryan um, came over. He was one of the higher-regarded higher uh, raised prospects as a pitcher. Um, came over in the... Uh, Nelson Cruz deal. He's going to be um, our opening day starter, and then um, 
<clears throat> probably Bailey Ober, who we saw a little bit of last year. Still has uh, still has rookie status, but was a uh, fairly successful pitcher last year. Um, is likely to start the season as the number five guy. But again, there's a lot a lot of uh, depth and a lot of both prospects and guys who are maybe not a prospect anymore, but have some opportunity there. Um, if Randy Dobnak can ever get healthy, he's probably got a reasonable shot at coming back up. Um, you may see Devin Smeltzer a little bit if things go a little sideways. And of course, there's a good handful of, uh, of pitching prospects that you'll probably see at some point as well. And teams like the Royals and the Twins, you know, they really have to rely on their farm system. And I think we're starting to, you know, with the Twins, we see a lot of homegrown talent. Byron Buxton, obviously, Kirilov and Larnock, uh, Trevor Larnock. Uh, who on the farm right now do you think could be a contributor this season? Is there anyone that you're kind of excited about coming up uh, and, and making an impact? Yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind of a longer list, actually. So um, there's certainly a chance that you see uh, Royce Lewis or Austin Martin. Those two are going to be our our top pitch or excuse me, top position player prospects. Um, but the guy that I would definitely keep an eye out that's maybe a little less on the radar is uh, Jose Miranda. I know I mentioned him earlier. A um, little more trivia for you: he's actually a cousin of uh, Lin Manuel uh, Miranda. Oh, really? Uh, the that. Um, actor and director but um, so Jose Miranda he can kind of play all over the uh, infield a little bit he can play you know serviceable shortstop he's probably better as a second or third baseman Um, he's got just a little bit of pop but he gets on base he's one of those guys that uh, you know he's uh, he's just kind of a gamer you'll see him quite a bit kind of fits that uh, um, you good utility player role almost an eduardo escobar somebody like that i think and he could be a guy you know with any injuries who you see a lot of and he becomes uh kind of an impact player for the twins even if he's not going to be a maybe a long-term impact player he's a guy that you you count on for a couple of years so with uh, the Korea signing i imagine that's gotten the fan base pretty excited uh is this what are the kind of the expectations this year is it do fans think like the Twins can be serious contenders, uh, or are they just going to be happy to make the playoffs? What What are you kind of thinking as as far as what the Twins can do this year? You know, it's kind of an interesting year as far as that goes. Of course, you know people are excited, but at the same time, between last year being you know not so solid, some of the question marks still on the team. There's, well, there's a lot of uh, pessimists and negative uh, negative Nancys out there in the fan base, and they've still been a little more vocal than you might expect considering the uh the chips the twins put in the middle of the table but overall i think most people realistically you know expect this to be a team that at least competes for the division um and if everything if everything breaks right it certainly could be a world series team but most people aren't seriously talking that way yet what would have to go right do you think if if for the twins to make a a serious run at a, at at least a pennant or something what what uh, what who are some of the key players that have to have a a good season so the biggest thing is they're going to have to see some guys develop um they're going to have to keep Byron Buxton healthy that's going to be the big thing um and then we really need to see maybe not everything we saw in 2019 but certainly much closer to that from uh uh, Sano and from uh, Max Kepler, um, but it's going to be the guys, the Alex Kirilov, um, some the same guys we've been discussing, and then those pitching prospects really showing up this 
what's going to make the difference, you know. You're not going to make a deep pennant run on a couple of uh, number three pitchers and a couple of, uh, you know, kind of iffy rookies. You're going to have to have some rookies that are pretty lights out in order to be uh, to really make a difference. Well, I think it's always really interesting when a, a smaller market team makes a big splash in the offseason, and I think it's a... Uh... It's a good example for the other teams. Like, there's no reason the Royals can't go out and make a signing like that. Um, and and so I applaud the Twins' ownership. I know they've been stingy in the past, but they uh, they've de- definitely investing in the team now. And it's kind of going to be really interesting to see how the Twins do this year. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure we'll you know we're going to definitely get a, a long look at the Twins with the 19 games we have against Minnesota this year. But uh, TJ, uh, thanks so much for being on and uh, sharing your information on the Twins. Yeah, absolutely, Max. Always a pleasure, and, uh, you know, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again to all the guests that took the time to be on tonight. Thank you for listening. From everyone at Royals Review Radio, we'll talk to you next time. Hey!